Last week we found some wisdom and we found some depth in some unexpected places. Uh, we found that, man, the things that make us sad, the things that challenge us, the things that are difficult, when we face our limitations, when we don't get what we want, those are often the times when we are shaped the most, at least spiritually speaking. You see, life isn't about just having a good time, just whiling away our time, enjoying it for ourselves. It's about the good name of Jesus being built up and formed in us. And toward that end, sometimes it's those hard things and challenges that are the best teachers. Now, one of the teachers that was cited last week alongside sadness and frustration and, you know, general hardship, one of these teachers that has a Ph.D. in life's lessons, if we're a good student, is death. Said last week in our reading, death is the destiny of everyone and the living should take it to heart. And maybe you did everything you possibly could last week to not take it to heart. To try to avoid the lessons that death wants to teach you and I. But there is no avoiding death this week. It is going to gain entry to our hearts before this morning is up. You guys excited? There's blessing in it. There's blessing in it. I'll promise you that, okay? Verse 1, we're going to start reading. Chapter 9, the verses will be on the screens. So I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands. But no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. All share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good, so with the sinful. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. The same destiny overtakes all. The hearts of people, moreover, are full of evil, and there's madness in their hearts while they live. And afterward, they join the dead. Anyone who is among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even their name is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Go, eat your food with gladness, and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. Always be clothed in white, and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. All your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life, and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. I have seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no one knows when their hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. We'll stop there. What do you guys think? Should I, should I use this for Christmas Eve? I don't know. I don't know. Run it back. You would just say, that was, that, was a, that was a greatest hit. Let's just do that again in a couple weeks. I know we got a lot here to wrap our minds around. There's a lot that we've got to metabolize. You know, if we, if we just started at the beginning there, verse 1, 
The teacher has just got done in chapter 8 declaring the limitations of wisdom, that even the most wise people in the world can't understand life. Chapter 8, verse 17, no one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. People search it out. They claim to know, but no one knows, right? No one can figure out everything. No one can grasp how everything works from your personal life all the way up to the scale of world events. Now, there's a lot of people who claim to know, a lot of people with a big following on YouTube who had all the answers for your life. They have all the answers for everything that's going on in the world. A lot of pastors preaching a lot of sermons. Oh, I got all the answers in the Bible for all the things that are going on in the world. Even, you know, down to like the personal scale, Uncle Ed at Thanksgiving dinner. You know, you pull the extended family together. Uncle Ed eats a little turkey, gets going, and soon enough he solved all the world's problems, right? I mean, this is just, it's natural for us as human beings to, to have that hunger like we talked about in week two of this series, this desire to know it all but not the ability to comprehend it all. I use that analogy of like touring Europe, looking through a pinhole. You can't really grasp it all. It's like we're standing in front of an ocean of knowledge, but we have just a limited bucket to grasp and comprehend all that knowledge. So acknowledging the limitations of wisdom, the teacher concludes in verse 1 that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands because no one knows whether love or hate awaits them. Essentially, not even the smartest nor the most faithful people in the world can tell the future. Nobody knows. No matter how good they are, no matter how smart they are, they don't know what's even going to happen tomorrow in their lives. But we all know one thing for sure, and we're all certain of this, death is coming. Whichever route we take through life, we're all going to end up at that same final train stop together. Verse 2 declares it's the same for the righteous as for the wicked. It's the same for the bad as well as the good. Those who are clean and those who are unclean. Those who take, you know, the religious practices seriously. Those who sacrifice and are, those who are part of church community and those who have nothing to do with religion. Everybody's going to face the same destiny. Think about it. Every one of your nice neighbors Oh, man, I got some nice neighbors here this morning. You know, the people that you wave, you say hi, you know, they say hi, and you share that egg that they need or some butter. This destiny is going to overtake them. Think, those people, the, the, the neighbors that give you trouble. And some of my neighbors maybe in the room are thinking, which category am I in right now? Am I the troublesome neighbors? Uh, just think, think about all the people in your life, your workplace, your boss. Same destiny is going to be for your bosses, the people who report to you at work. Same destiny for every bad politician and all the bad ones too. Same destiny overtakes all of them. The most evil and vile people in the world, they have a destiny awaiting them. The most noble and kind-hearted is the same destiny. Every soldier on every side of every world conflict has the same destiny ahead of them. And man, every single person in this room, this is the evil and everything that happens under the sun. Verse 3, the same destiny overtakes everyone. To say nothing of heaven, just working with this life, is kind of a bummer. And I, I mean that as sort of an understatement. It's kind of a bummer that no matter how you live this life, you still have to die. It's this ultimate equalizer. 
And if the reality of death didn't feel unfair enough on its own, in verse 3, the teacher observes the tragedy of the living. He says, the hearts of people are full of evil and are filled with madness while they live. So here we're given this short breath of a life, and there's so many going about it. In unthinking, wild self, in others' destructive ways, they're out of their head, they're out of their heart. To add insult to the injury of death, they waste life while they're alive. In verse 4, he says, why waste your life while you're alive? Know what you got when you got it. For even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. And you know, this guy's real subtle with his poetry and teaching here, right? Uh, he's real light to the touch when he's talking about truth here. But here's the point. You might be the poorest of the poor today. You might be in troubled circumstances, but at least you're alive. You've got vision. You've got the possibility of hope. And remember, that's more than the richest man who ever lived if he's six feet underground right now. Know what you got when you got it. Verse 5, we have perspective. We have the gift of foresight to respond to the reality being unveiled here in Ecclesiastes 9. But what do the dead have in the world? Nothing. They're not getting any more paychecks. They're not going on any far-flung vacations anywhere in the world. They're not taking any more selfies under the sun. They're gone. And their names are going to be forgotten when their kids' kids stop talking about them. Marvel at this with me. Marvel at this with me and the teacher of Ecclesiastes that there have been so many people who have lived in this world. So many people, and they had the whole drama of their lives. And they had all that love and passion. And they had all that hatred and malice and violence. And they had conflicts and they had stress. And they had angst and they had toil and they had dreams and it's all gone, like smoke. It's vanished. You know, nothing makes me think about ultimate reality and death more than being at the DMV. I was at the DMV two days ago, and uh, I, I was late to register a vehicle, <laughs> and uh, they no longer let you pay online at that point. I don't know why. You pay the same, they don't even give, there's no penalty. They just want you to pay, but now you got to come in person. They just want to teach you a lesson. And you're a couple days late. So, okay, they taught me a lesson. I show up at the DMV. I'm there early. I'm there, you know, five minutes before it opens. I'm third in line. Yes. I am going to get into this place. I'm going to get out of this place. I'm going to go on with my life. Oh, no, 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 no. It took me two hours. Oh, yes, I know. One-star review, DMV, Costa Mesa. <laughs> Took me two hours. I was third in line. I showed up. I had this anticipation. I'm going to knock this thing. I'm going to handle this thing. I was filled with all-consuming frustration. All-consuming frustration. And you have to have a little context. I went to the DMV the other day before that. I went at my lunchtime. I waited for an hour and a half for my ticket to come up. I got to the window. I go to pay, and they say the system just shut down. Everybody, the whole system had shut down. I said, well, I'll wait. They said, well, it never came online yesterday, so. so I left. So now I'm here again, and I'm telling you, I get to the window, about to pay. The payment system shuts down. 
okay, let me bring you over to this window. You've got to wait for them to finish with that person. They finish with that person. Here's your receipt. I go up. We talk through the whole thing again. Oh, take your oh, systems down. Let's send you to the third person. All-consuming frustration. Like, I never felt anything stronger. I was not confident I was ever going to leave that place. I thought I was going to die inside the DMV. But I didn't. I left that place that I thought I was going to be in forever. And that all-consuming frustration, I don't feel it anymore. And nobody's going to remember it. And I'm not going to remember it any longer than this sermon because I'm going to like to forget it. But just think about all those feelings, all those deeply held emotions that we all have, all gone because of the days, gone because we who feel them will be gone. And we're never coming back. Not to this world, at least not the way it is right now. What should we conclude from the impending nature of this universal equalizer of death? Are we all supposed to despair and mourn and wear black every day with a sad face? Gratefully, no. I think the teacher is here describing what I would call a beautiful, fleeting sunset. You know, as the sun is setting, you're like, man, I just want to pause time. This is so gorgeous. I wish the sky looked like this all the time. But it's like passing as you're watching it. It's always changing, and it's fleeting. It's going away. But man, it's beautiful. And he started with the dark part. You know, in the sky, in a beautiful sunset, there's a dark part. The contrast brings out the colors, and he's working from the dark part down. He's saying, when you can acknowledge these realities, it can actually lead you to live more in the light, in the color. Verse 7, he says, go, eat your food with gladness, and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for God has already approved what you do. He's like, smile, folks. All roads lead to this common destiny that we're all going to die, so you might as well enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride. It's like savor the simple things. Everyone eats. Y'all got to eat. Why don't you eat with a smile? Eat with some gladness. Drink your wine with a joyful heart. He's not commanding that you drink wine, by the way. He's not saying it's 5 o'clock somewhere, let's drink all day. He's not saying that. He's saying, you know, here's this luxury saved for special occasions at the right time and place. Enjoy. Enjoy these blessings. God has already approved what you do, meaning these enjoyments are a common grace. This is a common gift God has given us while we're alive. There's nothing that's super spiritual about a somber and sad and mopey person. Now, I know what you may be thinking, if you were a part of last week's message, you're going, well, how does this jive with what we just learned last week? We're not supposed to go to the house of pleasure. We're supposed to go to the house of mourning and sadness. You know, is this guy talking out of both sides of his mouth? Well, let me just clarify. On the one hand, the wise are those who embrace life's challenges and hardships, sadness, frustration, life's limitations, as forming their character, as forming who they are. But that doesn't mean they just end up being mopey and sad all the time, too. No, it's actually through the embrace of these experiences that are challenging, they grow a greater reliance on God and a greater appreciation for the gift of life that they have been given. See here, this is the result here in Ecclesiastes 9. This teacher has taken death into his heart, and it's become a reason to embrace joy and embrace it. He says, 
Don't walk around in black, Andrew. A lot of times I'm wearing black. Almost every day I wear black. But verse 8, always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. And that's why I wore somewhat of a white shirt this morning. You're supposed to dress up, not down, like you're going out, dress to impress. Wear white. I tried to uh, wear white pants today. I have some white pants. I was a genius. I wore them while I was landscaping my yard, and I pulled them out of the wash this morning, and they look horrible for good now. So I didn't wear them, but I tried. All right, a little bit of white up here. He says, anoint your head with oil, meaning get a haircut. Put on some cologne. Take the extra two minutes to actually use some skin moisturizer. Dude, live it up. Like, life is one big special occasion because it is special. It is special. It is a blessing to be alive. So live and laugh and love. You guys ever heard that phrase before? (laughs) But he says it. He literally says it. He says love. Love deeply and madly. Verse 9, enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this illusory life, this passing life, this breath of a life, not necessarily meaningless. We defined that in the first week. It's a passing life. Embrace that relationship. And for those of you who are teetering on the fence, I'm not saying marry the first person with a pulse. That's not what I'm about to say. But don't drag your feet dating for three years. Go and get hitched. And when you get married, don't sweat the small stuff. Don't live in that relationship with one foot in and one foot out. And did I make the right decision? Was there someone more perfect for me? Is there somebody else out there in the future? Embrace that relationship. Life is short. Quit complaining about the kids and have some fun already. It says it in the Bible. Do it, right? And if you're single, I'm not trying to make you bummed out right now. The message is no different for you. Invest in the people around you. Maybe you have children. Invest in your children, your friendships. Give them your time, your energy, your best, and build community. Those meaningful connections that bring you joy. Don't Netflix and chill with a sad face. Plan the get-together. Verse 9 concludes, this is our lot in life and in all the toil that we undergo under the sun. You guys understand, there's stress, and there's work, and there's challenges, right? And we don't know what happens tomorrow. We don't know if love or hate awaits us. So you might as well have a good attitude about it today. Even with work, he says, work hard. Now, we've already heard, I mean, keep this in balance. He said, don't be a workaholic because you're looking for something in your workplace that you can't find. So don't go to that extreme, but when your hands find something to do, do it right. Do it with all of your might. Give your heart to it because where we're headed We're not going to be working like we're working right now. Take death into your heart when you go to work. And now I know some of you are saying, well, that's easy. Work already is death to me. That's not what I mean. I mean, take the perspective of death into your workplace. Think that all those things that stress you out, all those deadlines, all those tasks and to-dos and all the jealousy and the envy and all the relational issues in the workplace, It's all going to vanish. Your big problems today are not going to be small problems. They're not even going to exist. 
So embrace even the toil when you're toiling because you're alive. You know, this enjoyment of life being promoted here in Ecclesiastes, it's incredibly resilient because this joy isn't based on getting something you don't have or keeping something you've gotten or, you know, living into this other future that you haven't arrived at yet or going back and living something in the past. It's it's a joy that's derived from just acknowledging the wonder of the gift God has given us in this passing moment. Verse 11 reminds us, life doesn't make sense you know, some people, oh, I don't know if I believe in God because, man, there's things that happen in life that don't make sense. Guys, he agrees with you. He told you that. Don't be surprised when life doesn't make sense. He's like, yeah, life does not make sense. The race is not to the swift. The battle isn't to the strong. Wealth doesn't come to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. Think about it. There are people who work in third world countries who are working 10 times harder than the average American and they're making one one-hundredth of the salary. Does that make any sense? Is that just? It's true that sometimes in life, the good die young. And in your workplace, sometimes it's the people who get promoted to their level of incompetence, right? And the learn get passed up. We have a degree of agency and choice in this world, but time and chance from the human perspective are two factors that none of us can account for. And according to verse 12, our last day, our last hour on earth is the same. We don't have a clue. We're a fish, and then there's the net. And we're a bird, and we're just cruising and flying and flapping. And then there's the snare, and we're caught in a time of evil. Prep all you want, but life's not going to go according to your plan or my plan. But what the teacher here is trying to tell us is we don't have to outsource our joy or put a limit on our enjoyment based on what might happen tomorrow. Recognizing anything can and will happen and that death is the only certainty, man, that means we ought to take hold of this gift from God that is our breath of a life and live it already. Trying to make sense of the things that will never make sense. Trying to anticipate the times. Wasting your energy, your emotional energy on hatreds and jealousies and complaining about your job and your kids while thinking some achievement someday, something you're going to get someday is going to fix it all as a surefire way to miss the point of life. Instead, smile. Because all comes from the hands of God and everything, including this breath of a life that is ours, remains in His hands. I want to call you to some perspective out of Ecclesiastes chapter 9. A couple of comments I want to make. Number one, stepping back from Ecclesiastes 9, I want to declare, contrary to popular belief, God wants you to be happy. He wants you to enjoy life. And I know, just saying it, it kind of feels like, is that kind of a sin? To, to like enjoy things? God would want me to be happy. Are we allowed to say that in church? Isn't that telling that it's like, oh, I'm not comfortable with this. Do you guys understand, like, Jesus, he enjoyed things. It, it was the religious leaders who came up to him, right? That one time he's, he's feasting with his disciples. They're, they're, they're having a good time. <laughs> they're eating. They're enjoying each other's company. And the somber and sad, super spiritual people come up, oh, you shouldn't be doing this. You shouldn't be having a good time. And he's like, look. When the guests of the bridegroom are with him, 
We feast. You know, when, when the church comes together with Jesus, it, it, the fulfillment of time, like, that, that's a marriage ceremony. That's the picture that we get. It's a party. It's a big feast. That's what heaven's going to be like. That's what God has prepared for us. Psalm 16, 11, in his presence is joy, and in his right hand, eternal pleasures. Now I want to clarify, in all that feasting, in all that enjoyment, Jesus did not sin. There's nothing in Ecclesiastes 9 that promotes sin that says, okay, so now you guys can just go get drunk and you know, participate in sexual immorality and live a life of greed and just hoarding possessions. There's absolutely nothing in here that says that that's what we should do, nor will indulgence in sin even make us happy in the first place. Acknowledging God and the gift of life is enough to be happy, and that's to say nothing of the hope that we have in Jesus, that our sins are forgiven, that we've got eternal life before us in his kingdom forever, that he actually is going to straighten out all the crooked things in this world. It's more than okay, guys, to feel good about that. In fact, it's right to feel good about that. What's the fruit of the Spirit? Fruit of the Spirit is love, so we're not living for our self-interest, which Ecclesiastes definitely preaches. We're living for the interests of others, but a fruit of the Spirit is joy. Joy. Now, I've heard so many pastors, I've heard so many Christians give that same message, well, happiness is different than joy. And we're not called to happiness, we're called to joy. And it's something I have even when I feel horrible. And you're like, well, if, if that's my options, happiness or what you have and you call joy, I want happiness. I don't want whatever you have. You've taken the joy out of joy. And I get it. Like, life is difficult. Ecclesiastes is saying that. Maybe your body hurts. You know, things are just confusing in the world. You're going through, like, heart-wrenching loss. But you're alive and you still have hope. And that's enough. And plus, you have lunch. I'm not kidding. That's what it says. You got lunch coming. You got some sun on your skin, the warmth. You've got the people around you that make you smile and that you make smile. So get a haircut, put on the face moisturizer, and smile already. And don't waste your limited energy. Don't waste any of your, let me say, severely limited energy, not on anger and conflicts that will literally come to nothing. Think how many conflicts, how many horrible things, and you got through it, and it's not with you the way it was with you before, and it's not going to be with you in the future. Don't waste your energy on things you can't control or know or understand. Right now, there's a lot of pastors and Christians talking about Jesus' return and the end of the world, given the conflict that's happening in Israel. But really, when I hear those sermons, I just think, man, these are just the sequel to the sermons during COVID in 2020, right? Because the world was ending back then, too, right? So this is just the next, this is just the next you know, installment in the series. Fear is good for business when it comes to religion, don't waste any energy on all that. No one knows the day or the hour. He says, I'm coming like a thief in the night. You're going to be a fish, and there's the net. You're caught in the net. 
So now you can just use your energy. You can just use all that power and love and self-discipline and grace and joy that the Holy Spirit is pouring into you to live for His kingdom today. The world has been ended for 2,000 years since Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. All that big stuff is in God's hands, and so are we. So let's leave it in His hands so that we can live for Him. And I don't know how to say this in a way that's poetic and inspirational, I definitely didn't say it in a way that's poetic and inspirational. I said, live for God, 100% fully devoted today. That is a message I get out of Ecclesiastes 9. It's like what we hear in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And a couple verses later, he says, whatever your hand finds to do, work at it with all your might because you're, you're working at it for the Lord. You're alive. Like, give it up to him. Now, I think there's a lot of people who don't live fully devoted lives. They don't give 100% to God. They're giving 10%, 15%, and a lot of times what's holding them back is insecurities. They think, I don't know if God actually wants me to do that. I don't know enough. You know, I don't have the background in church. I don't understand all the things in the Bible. I don't know the words to the songs like... So I don't know if I should be invited into this. Guys, every single person who's a follower of Jesus had their first day. The 85 years old, you're 45 years old, you're 15 years old, you're going to have your first day where you go, I don't know anything, I don't know if this is for me. They're like, okay, 100%. My life is in God's hands. I don't know how to read the Bible, but I'm going to start to learn how to read the Bible. I don't know what the words are to the songs, and I have a pretty bad voice, but I'm going to just go for it anyway, because I'm living my life fully devoted for God. And Jesus loves people like that. In the Gospels, he's going around and he's going to all these people who've counted themselves out. They've got their insecurities, they've got their sin, they're not religious, they're not put together. And all the somber, sad religious people are like, yep, these people don't belong in God's plan. They can't live their life fully for God. And Jesus is like, I like you. You're exactly who I want to be around because I can teach you. And guess what? I can forgive you of your sin and make you new. And I can fill you with my Holy Spirit. And you can live your life 100% fully devoted to me. And if there's a message that's here in Ecclesiastes 9, if you're not there 100%, if you're 50, if you're 10, if you're 1%, this is the moment. This life is passing. Why waste another breath not giving it all to God? And for some of us, it's not our insecurities holding us back from living fully devoted lives to God. I'd say it's the criticism of other people. Let me tell you a quick story. When I was in Bible school, my senior year, there was an opening in the spiritual life committee for the school. It was a volunteer role among the students and big surprise opening for the committee chair. And someone said, Andrew, I think you should step into that role. And I started to hear the talk as I was considering it. Oh, Andrew, head of the Student Spiritual Life Committee. Doesn't this guy think he's something? Look at this super spiritual guy going to teach us how to follow Jesus. Look how much he cares. And when I started hearing that people were going to put me in that box and make those assumptions about who I am, I started to think, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. Why would I want anyone to think that of me? But then I began to consider, wait, if I don't do this, then nothing ever gets done. I mean, for real, the, the, the lunacy of this whole situation, people think 
that my one dream to make me significant and become something is to be head of a committee no one cares about for a school of 100 students in the middle of nowhere, Kansas, that no one's ever going to remember. Yeah, then I'm going to be somebody, and I'm super spiritual. It's like, no way, dude. I want to do this because I want freshmen who are coming into this school to not face the same cynicism about God that I found in a Bible college. I actually want people to support the spiritual lives of the next generation coming in. But if I listened to the naysayers, I never would have done anything. I never would have fully 100% lived for God. Let me tell you something, guys. In every organization, in every generation, there's people that are too cool for school. They're the naysayers. They're the critics. They hold every card that they have close to their chest because they don't want to show them because they don't want anyone to judge anything about them. It's like, it's like cool not to care. If you care, oh, you're not cool, you know, because you feel something for something. It's like, my gosh, I care. I care. I don't care about being cool. And if I try to fit this box of what other people think, I'm never going to do anything. Naysayers never did anything for anybody. I think about this like transition they were going to go on in this new facility. And I know there's going to be people who offer only one contribution. It's their comment. It's their comment. I got a comment about this. I, got, I, I don't think we're doing the right thing. And guess what? Lord willing, and it's completely in the Lord's hands. It's nothing that we can contrive. But man, my prayer, Lord willing, if there's a facility and there's 150 youth filling that facility or 300 youth filling that facility in the future, and it's creating, you know, stirring up revival on high school and junior high campuses and kids are coming to the Lord in a genuine way, those naysayers are going to have no part in that result. They're not going to have done anything to get to that place. They're just going to go back and do nothing. And then their kids are going to grow up and they're going to want to send their kid to that youth group. That's the irony of the whole thing. I don't want to hold back anything. I want to live 100%. I want to want to live more in this passing life for the Lord. Lord, help me want to want more. Because when I come to the end of this very short experience, I'm not standing before the committee of mockers who are going to assess what I did and didn't do. I'm going to stand just like you're going to stand before the Lord and give an account of my life for Him and see what He says about it. So why would I hold anything back? Why would you hold anything back? Care. Care about it. Give yourself to it. And I want to pray toward that end this morning. We got a little bit of time. We'd have no time left. That's the message of Ecclesiastes 9. We got no more time. We got time. We're going to spend some time in prayer.